X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Givelin from Portland, Oregon, and it's Thursday, July 1st. Today, back in the day on July 1st, 1979, the Sony Walkman went on sale for the first time. Before Sony created the Walkman, portable transistor radios were the only way you could listen to music on the go. Sony's co-founder, Masuru Ibuka, used to carry clunky stereo equipment with him so he could listen to music on airplanes. He traveled a lot and he loved to listen to music, so he requested that Sony create something more portable. A prototype Walkman was made for him, and its convenience and sound quality were so good that Ibuka pushed for a mass market product. The Walkman was born out of this, forever changing the history of music listening. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Street Roots Fender liaison, Tina Drake. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. After over a year in lockdown, Oregon fully reopened yesterday. As of 12.01 a.m. Wednesday, the state no longer requires masks to be worn in most situations, leaving masking rules now in the hands of individual businesses. Exceptions to this allowance are federal buildings, such as prisons, healthcare settings, and on public transportation. There are no longer any capacity restrictions in place for businesses, meaning restaurants, bars, venues, and stores can now open their doors to pre-pandemic occupancy limits. Remember those? Like the masking mandates, individual businesses are still welcome to assess their own occupancy levels. Social gatherings, both inside and outside, are also no longer affected by poorly enforced attendance limitations. Oregonians also do not have to wear masks in the workplace, other than in exceptional jobs such as healthcare and public transportation. Again, individual businesses can have their own mask and occupancy limits, so be sure to keep an eye out for expectations. And now your daily dose of data. Over the last week, an average of 8,900 or 8,900 doses of a COVID-19 vaccine were administered per day in Oregon. This is a 25% decrease in daily averages from the previous week. Since January, the state of Oregon has administered at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine to 2,467,466 Oregonians. This distribution covers 67.6% of residents 12 years of age and older, as well as 58.5% of the state's entire population. 2,223,826 Oregonians have been fully vaccinated. Today, Oregon's minimum wage increases. Minimum wage workers in the Portland metro area will now be paid $14 per hour. Workers throughout the rest of Oregon will have their pay raised to no less than $12 per hour. This wage increase will affect 213,000 Oregonians, as estimated by the Oregon Employment Department. Oregon has adopted a tiered approach to yearly minimum wage increases since 2016. In those five years, the wage has steadily increased at a set amount annually from where it began at $9.25 per hour. Next year, on July 1st, minimum wage will increase to $15 per hour in the Portland metropolitan area, and the yearly system will cease. Further increases beyond then will be indexed to inflation based on the Consumer Price Index. 
Governor Kate Brown has declared a state of emergency as wildfires continue to rage. The declaration is aimed at improving the response both to the two active fires in the state as well as the imminent wildfires to come later this summer. It also invokes the state's Emergency Conflagration Act as a means of aiding the response to a growing fire east of Mount Hood. Governor Brown's declaration comes in the aftermath of evacuations for over 100 residents of Wasco County at the hands of the Rentham Market Fire. Located east of Dufer, the fire grew to 10,000 acres overnight, according to the Department of Forestry. Meanwhile, the Redmond Brush Fire prompted firefighters to evacuate 325 residential and commercial structures on Tuesday. The recent wave of extreme heat, which continues to plague the eastern half of the state, has worsened drought conditions as forecasts call for wind and thunderstorms in the coming months. Willamette University and Pacific Northwest College of Arts have finalized their merger. First announced last year, the collaboration combines the state's oldest university and the region's oldest arts college. Both schools have struggled with declining enrollment in recent years. Previously, PNCA attempted a failed merger with the now-defunct Oregon College of Art and Craft. The merger is supported by a $2 million donation from the estate of Arlene Schnitzer to create the Arlene and Harold Schnitzer PNCA Dean's Initiative Fund in an effort to provide the new dean of the college with the financial support to expand university programming. The search for a new dean at PNCA begins this week. PNCA will maintain its status as an independent college within Willamette. The school's name, faculty, and campus will remain unchanged by the merger. And finally, some good news. Both of Portland's professional soccer teams will now allow full-capacity attendance at Providence Park. The teams announced yesterday that in consideration of the state's new guidelines on masking and social distance, the Portland Timbers and Thorns will welcome fans to fill all 25,218 of the stadium seats at matches this month. Proof of vaccination will no longer be required for entry. Masks will also not be required but are highly recommended at all times for unvaccinated fans as well as for all fans in indoor spaces, such as restrooms. The Thorns match against New Jersey, New York, Gotham, FC on July 11th will be the first game to allow fans at full capacity since last March. The first full-capacity Timbers match will be July 17th against FC Dallas. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Up next, we'll hear from Street Roots vendor liaison, Tina Drake, about the recent heat wave and how we can support vendors who can't be outside during this trying time. More extreme weather events threaten us all, but they're especially dangerous for people experiencing housing insecurity. Uh, But Portland's houseless community and its advocates are adaptable and resilient. Uh, Here to tell us more about uh, everything is vendor liaison for Street Roots, Tina Drake. Good morning, Tina. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to talk to you. You as well. Um, first and foremost, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then also what you do at Street Roots? So my name is Tina Drake. I am the vendor liaison here at Street Roots. Um, I actually started as a vendor over 10 and a half years ago here at Street Roots. Um, 
just doing what everybody else does, making money selling the paper. Um, and I ended up during the pandemic being hired on as the vendor liaison because I have that aspect of having been out there, having understood the paper from the other side, so to speak. And because of that, I had that outlook that a lot of people just don't have. So how have you seen the vendor program grow and change since you've been a part of Street Roots? So I have seen the vendor program grow drastically. Um, Even during this pandemic, we had our own people step up and step into the light when nobody else was willing to, giving out uh, care packages, um, making sure people were taken care of during the pandemic, giving out the proper information that was needed at given times, things of that nature. Um, We have had multiple vendors now become staff through this pandemic and the new programs and things that we are running here at Street Roots. That's amazing. Um, We'll touch on the heat wave in a moment, but first I want to establish a little context for the type of community organizing that y'all do at Street Roots. Uh, Mutual aid is an old concept, but people use the term a lot in different ways these days. Uh, What does mutual aid mean to you? I, to me, mutual aid has kind of a different outlook than a lot of people does. It's everybody helping everybody, everybody being there for each other, no matter what the situation, what the call being able to understand that we are all in everything together, no matter the situation. That's really important to understand and recognize is that we're all in the same situation. We're all trying to get through it together. Um, Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's important for programs in our, for our houseless community be peer led? I think it's important that it's peer-led because we, those that have a, us that have grown, so to speak, like me in my situation, I now am housed, I have a job, but I have been there. I understand the life and the, the things that are going on every single day that the houseless community has to face. I understand having to get up every morning, wonder where your next meal is going to come from. I understand uh, leaving your home your tent behind every morning to try and make enough money to survive and wondering if it's going to be there that night when you get back Mm -hmm. so having people in the community that understand these situations that have lived these situations gives an outlook that a traditionally housed person may or may not have at any given time Exactly. And, you know, leaving your tent in order to make a living and being worried about your possessions is a really important point because uh, this week uh, I was talking to a person that is one of my neighbors who also happens to live in a tent and we were talking about the cooling centers and uh i had said are you going to a cooling center because it has to be 3000 degrees in a tent uh and they had said no i'm not going to a cooling center because i don't want to lose my possessions which is completely yep. valid you know mm-hmm. um so how have street routes and also the vendors uh, been dealing with this heat wave So all weekend long, Street Roots actually created a misting tent. We put out a call for 
supplies, water bottles, ice, sunscreen um, from the community, and we have run the cooling station for our vendors and anybody that needed it all weekend long. Um, fantastic. Uh, do you uh, also there's cooling centers at Oregon Convention Center, uh, Arbor yes. Lodge, and Sunset that I believe are going on until tomorrow at nine o'clock. So if you need to get into a cool today at nine. Oh, is it today at nine? Mm, it should yep. be tomorrow. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, make sure to uh, give people water and stuff. If you see people on the street uh, yep. running around, give them water, give them ice, give them whatever, give them otter mm-hmm. pops. I love otter pops. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Belinda and Julia. Uh, I am speaking with Tina Drake, vendor liaison for Street Roots. Uh, In the opening editorial of this week's issue uh, is a great description of people from different backgrounds coming together at one of the cooling centers. How do we create more spaces that bridge that socioeconomic divide? Honestly, I really couldn't say. Um, I think it's just something that it's needed. It's part of the life that everybody should understand these centers are, I don't think that they should be closed down during the summer. I don't think that they should be closed down during the winter. Um, the fact that it has to be a specific temperature range for these places to even be open, I think, is a problem in itself. Because at that point, you never know, okay, is there going to be room? Is there going to be uh, enough shelter for anybody that needs it Mm -hmm. and during the winter situation it has to be under under 20 degrees outside for them to be willing to open these heating centers or it has to be over 105 or something of that nature for them to open the cooling centers Mm -hmm. i think that is actually a problem i think that it should be open all year round because even during the sum, the traditional summer, a person living in a tent is going to experience temperatures at least 15 to 20 degrees hotter inside their tent than it is outside at any given time. Oh, no, that is absolutely true. And even within the uh, winter with, with being hot, I remember there were several people who lost their tents through uh, their tents catching on fire from trying to mm-hmm. build a fire to keep warm. Yeah, so yeah. I, I completely understand where you're coming from with uh, that. And we just don't have enough shelter spaces in general. Uh, no. We, we only have about enough shelter space for around 10% of the amount of people that are actually homeless, which is why you see mm-hmm. so many tents and so many people on the streets. Um, exactly. How can listeners support vendors who can't sell right now because they can't be on the street because of the heat? So one of the easiest ways to support our vendors right now that can't sell is we do use a Venmo. If you go to at Street Roots on Venmo, you can make a donation that way. You can also go on to uh, the Amazon wish list for Street Roots and donate supplies. Oh, great. So there's an Amazon wish list that you can go on to. And then also, uh, what is your website? Uh, streetroots.org. Okay, fantastic. And then what are the what do you think the biggest needs are of Portland's houseless community in the summer? Uh, shelter, um, 
water and sunscreen usually. And that's a good point, the sunscreen thing. So uh, at the stores, you can get a mini travel uh, sunscreen. Uh, and mm-hmm. I would suggest buying a bunch of those and then ha- passing those out as you see people that are baking in the sun yep. uh, that are uh, perhaps uh, needing that because that will be very helpful. And it's probably something that they wouldn't go out and buy on the, buy on their own. Um, and then where... Well, that, that's a very valid point. I mean, because one of the big things that you got to take into consideration as a houseless person, you don't have to worry about having to decide, do I have to worry about buying food or do I have to worry about buying sunscreen? As a traditionally unhoused person, you may only have that $5 and you have to decide whether food or health is more important. Well, no, and that's the thing is that you're prioritizing Mm-hmm. so many things on such little money and so you're you're trying to say okay i've got twenty dollars and then how am i going to spend that twenty dollars on this vast amount of needs that i have uh mm-hmm. and so your your uh your health becomes less and less of a priority and it's more just yep. surviving day to day and making sure that you can live to tomorrow you know that kind of thing and i think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand that um because they haven't experienced uh, that type of, of exactly. houselessness before. Uh, I have, I've made the point, and I made this during my last time I was on a radio show, is the average person doesn't realize they are two paychecks away from being exactly where we are. No, 100%. And I always have, have thought it odd that people... Are, get really mad about homelessness because I'm like, do you understand that you are closer to homelessness than you are to being Jeff Bezos? So mm-hmm. to get angry at homelessness or getting mad at your houseless neighbors is just getting mad really at yourself sometime down the road when you have some sort of medical emergency that you don't have money for. Exactly. Or, you know, it's just like one thing and you're done, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I completely understand that. Um and that's really awesome uh, to bring up. Uh, and I hope that we can get to a point where we can feel that empathy and compassion for our houseless neighbors. Yeah. Uh, and also that we can decrease housing prices. <laughs> um, and uh, before we wrap, uh, where else can people donate supplies? Um, well, you can, anybody that's in the area can drop off supplies at our office at 211 Northwest Davis at uh, any time between uh, 8.30 a.m. and 12 noon, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday before noon at the Street Roots office at 211 Northwest Davis. If you don't know where that is, it's right next to CC Slaughter's. So if you know where CC Slaughter's is, you know where the Street Roots office is. So you should, uh, before you go to CC Slaughter's, also bring street roots donations at the same time it's like two birds one stone there uh thank you so much tina drake uh with street roots for joining us today i really appreciate you being here uh stay cool and let's take care of our houseless neighbors and also get your dollar out and buy that uh that episode of that episode that uh issue of street roots because you're making a Mm -hmm. difference in somebody's life and somebody's housing so uh this is belinda carroll this is x-ray in the morning we'll be back in just one moment uh you're listening to x-ray fm Bye-bye. 
Thanks to Tina for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. We would love to hear your feedback about The Local. What do you like about the show? What could we do differently? We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email with your feedback at thelocal at xray.fm. And as we close out, thank you, democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.